0: Welcome to A Reason for Hope. My name is Adrian Van Vactor, and I am very pleased to be in here in studio with Pastor Scott Richards. How, hey, how are did? you today? Doing great. Good, good, good. Uh, this is a weekday daily broadcast where we take your questions live on plenty of social media platforms, as well as our own website, where you can ask questions about the Bible, uh, the Christian worldview. You can ask us uh, about how to apply biblical principles to your life or maybe dealing with difficult-to-interpret passages or different concepts dealing with uh, the Bible, God's Word. Uh, we are a, uh, a local church called Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. We are in Tucson, Arizona, and we have people who follow us all over the world, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, And uh, there's plenty of ways you can chime in. We encourage you to ask questions. Uh, you can engage with us. Of course, on Facebook, we live stream to Facebook every day, including our services and special events. Just go to Facebook and search for our handle, uh, which is at CCF Tucson. You can also engage with us on YouTube. We live stream to YouTube every day as well. And if you do watch us on YouTube and Facebook, please uh, share, follow, like, subscribe, (laughs) hit the notification bell so you can know when we are doing our services. We have uh, a phenomenal staff of teachers Especially our senior lead uh, teacher, Pastor Scott Richards, and uh, also you can, if you want to, just search for our YouTube handle. It's at a reason for hope five forty six. Please follow Pastor Scott on Twitter. You can actually ask questions there, and of course that Twitter handle is at Scott R four H, and that's on Twitter. And of course, uh, <clears throat> I follow him, and I I'm always entertained by some really. Uh, comedic as well as thought-provoking tweets uh, almost on a daily basis, so he's very active there, so I encourage you to go there and follow. If you want to watch us, if you are sort of anti-YouTube and (laughs) anti-Facebook, some people are, you can go to our website, which is calvarychristianfellowship.com, and you can click the Watch Live tab, and you can watch live, engage with others, ask questions, hear other people's questions, or I should say uh, read other people's questions. And we also have an app. You can download it on the Apple or uh, the Android or Google Play Store. Uh, We're also on the Amazon Play Store, Roku. You can watch all our services. You can actually have – there's an electronic Bible there. You can leave notes. You can join prayer uh, groups and so on. So I'd encourage you to check that out if you want to be a part of our community. And if you (coughs) prefer to be slightly anonymous and would like to just ask a question – Without engaging on one of these more public platforms, simply email us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. We check that every day, so feel free to leave a question there if you prefer. With that said, uh, let's take a moment to pray before we uh, actually take questions from you right now.
1: Yeah, let's do that. Father, I thank you so much that we have this opportunity to be able to seek your face. And Lord, uh, it's just uh, amazing how your word gives us perspective on even the most modern events and controversies. We pray for the, the people that are going to um, do us the honor of uh, posing their questions On Your Word, we pray that we would not only be able to answer even the presenting questions, but Lord, through Your Spirit, get to the questions underneath the questions, the real questions of the heart and what it means to have a personal relationship with You. Thank You for this uh, amazing privilege we have each and every day. We don't take it for granted, and we thank You so much that we have this opportunity to be able to explore Your Word, guide us and direct us in this exploration. Lord, You promised Your Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth, and apart from You, we know we can do nothing, so. Uh, allow us to come away from this time with a deeper and fuller relationship with you than we started. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Well, <clears throat> I was uh, just a real side note. Um, I, do we have any updates on Bible prophecy? I, I heard there's a little bit of controversy <laughs> uh, going on in Israel right now with their Supreme Court, and I discovered that there's some. Uh, kind of a very unique way on how they elect members to their Supreme Court. It's not what we would have think. It, it, it's that kind of different. And I was curious if that uh, played a hand in how we see how end times events will take place. You know, just Well, how- could you
1: detail for our audience how they select uh, the difference between our process, where an individual works and develops a, a resume and a track record as a, an established jurist, uh, they are nominated uh, for the position, uh, and, uh, by, usually by a president, and then uh, confer- confirmed by uh, the Senate. Uh, they, they have to have those hearings, as we saw with the Kavanaugh hearings and all the contention that uh, surrounded them. In fact, I guess uh, on uh, the anniversary of the Dobbs decision, there was a huge uh, semi-violent uh, demonstration mm-hmm. that took place outside of Justice Kavanaugh's uh, home last night. Uh, so, you know, we, that's how we do it. How does Israel do it?
0: I just learned about it today, so I'm very fuzzy, but apparently there isn't any kind of electoral process. or ele- uh, In fact, uh, the justices on the Supreme Court actually just select their predecessors, yep. and they're completely independent of the, uh, how do you say it, the, Kness- the, Nesser- the Knesset? The Knesset yeah. Knesset, yeah. And so they can overrule anything, There's but there's, no constitution d- is a guiding principle for the Supreme Court. So, if they disagree with any kind of decision, they can just dictate it. And so it's which geez.
1: is not altogether unlike the situation we find with uh, our system of justice here in the United States. Uh, you know, there used to be a uh, principle called stare decisis, where uh, any kind of decision by the Supreme Court. Would heavily rely upon the previous decisions that had gone before. Uh, Obviously, the foundation stone for any decisions that are made by our Supreme Court is uh, taking a look at what the U.S. Constitution says, hence the term that's constitutional or unconstitutional. Mm. Um, The the reason I say that that is beginning to drift is because uh, the the initial model for our judicial system was that uh, justices were not to Make laws; uh, they were just to interpret whether a particular law was constitutional or unconstitutional. But, for instance, in the landmark decision of Roe versus Wade, this great example of this, uh, where a uh, a right to an abortion uh, was uh, somehow conjured up uh, out of uh, what was called the penumbra of uh, the right to privacy, hmm. the uh, the uh, 14th Amendment of the United States. The illegal legal search and seizure, essentially, is where this came. And somehow, through an amazing pattern of uh, legal leaps and bounds, someone uh, came up with the idea that just as the police have to get a warrant before they can search your house, because you have a quote-unquote right to privacy underneath all of that— uh, this right to privacy also extended to uh, the decision whether to uh, eviscerate an unborn child. Mm. Uh, a major <clears throat> leap. But when the Supreme Court ruled uh, in uh, in favor of the plaintiff, Jane Roe, who, by the way, later on renounced her pro-abortion ways and became mm-hmm. a, an avid spokesperson for the pro-life position. Uh, but uh, the, the interesting thing is that was creating a law of the land, that did not exist uh... in the constitution it was an interpretation of the constitution and all kinds of jurists on either side like ruth bader ginsburg uh... would say you know roe Roe v wade is is really bad law uh... it, it is not really something that is constitutional in any uh... definitive sense of the term so that's how we used to do things pre roe v wade you had to be able to establish say, well no. Um, either this law passes or doesn't pass constitutional muster. Uh, you know, now we had, uh, from that time onward, we've had judges essentially lay out uh, laws uh, that used to be under the uh, the bailiwick, if you will, of the legislature. Mm-hmm. You know, if you ever watch Schoolhouse Rock, uh, you know, and I'm a bill and this is how it, yeah. <laughs> you know, it goes on. Uh, you know, it's we, a very we, addictive tune. <laughs> yeah, we 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 learned how laws were passed, were were established and passed, and and approved by the president, put under judicial examination by the court to see if they lined up with the Constitution. Well, these days we have a debate as to whether the Constitution is a foundational document or a living document, and by living that means that you can fold, a spindle, and mutilate the Constitution any way you see fit to be able to go ahead and do what you're going to do anyway. So, you know, when we talk about Israel uh, having, in a sense, and and I guess bringing it back to a biblical point of view, you know, this uh, spirit of lawlessness, if you will, where you have an unaccountable, unelected uh, group of individuals who are appointed for life uh, deciding and making laws. You know, the bigger picture as far as a, a prophetic overview on this comes down to that passage that we see in Second Thessalonians chapter two that this spirit of lawlessness is going to be what to eventually brings in the rise of the antichrist and and it's very interesting how when lawlessness abounds uh, when uh, the foundations are shaken what can the righteous do we're we're told in the psalm well not a lot. Uh, the, the, the bottom line, though, is, is this, this spirit of lawlessness, I believe, is tied into uh, something that has been brewing uh, in academia first, uh, was popularized in the arts, and then hit with a deafening thud uh, when Madeleine Murray O'Hare uh, sued about the uh, presence of prayer in schools. Mm-hmm. You know, back in 1960, um, that uh, the Supreme Court ruled there had to be a separation of church and state. Now, that's another statement that is not Um, found in the Constitution. Uh, You know, wasn't
0: in a personal correspondence between? Yeah, uh, Thomas Jefferson he wrote to a group
1: called the Danbury Baptists, uh, where he said that, in his point of view. Uh, they were worried about, you know, the United States somehow establishing a state church, much like the Church of England or mm-hmm. the Church of Sweden, or you name uh, the European principality. They were worried about all of that, and what Jefferson assured them was that there was a separation of church and state. Well, that's not in the Constitution. That that was Jefferson's opinion, and all we find in the Constitution is that uh, the United States will not make uh, in, impose any kind of a religion or pass any law restricting the free exercise thereof hmm. that's all we've got and and essentially that part of our constitution uh, was designed to prevent say uh the united states forming their own um church of england 2.0 church of usa here. yeah <laughs> uh and 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 establishing uh freedom freedom of religion but uh, when the, the Supreme Court ruled in uh, the Madeleine Murray O'Hare case, they came up with the uh, idea of freedom from religion, which was never a constitutional precept. And, and so what they built was this wall between uh, church and state uh, and said that uh, you know, we, you know, the, the government can only serve secular purposes. It cannot promote anything. Uh, that is uh, is is designated as being religious, and uh, that had the rough equivalent of ushering uh, the discussion of God, uh, biblical principles, out of the public square. Uh, and maybe it would show up again in politicians trying to gin up support during election time. But uh, you you uh, you really couldn't have as the basis. Uh, of a law any longer, this idea of absolute truth. Mm -hmm. You know, the the truth was really going to be found in the the eye of the beholder. Uh, And, you know, I I think once we crossed that line and uh, essentially in these decisions, uh, not only like in Roe v. Wade where you had the Supreme Court creating law Instead of just interpreting the law. But even before that, you know, this definition that uh, the uh, US government could not have any kind of uh, religious bias, if you will, uh, attached to anything that it did, any kind of religious perspective could not be a part of it. It had to be a purely secularized uh, notion behind that. You know, to me, you go down that path, Adrian, and I think what you end up with is uh, you know a, uh, a situation like in the book of Judges,
2: mm.
1: where it says there was no king in Israel, but every man did what was right in his own eyes. Because if there is no God, if there really is no Ten Commandments, you've got to take the Ten Commandments out of the schools, uh, well, then where do we find the basis for our shared morality mm-hmm. a, as a nation? Well, we find it in Gallup polls. Uh, we find it um, in uh, modern wokeism, Uh, where uh, the only real right uh, point of view is the one that does not offend anybody, uh, especially a uh, a very loud and vocal pressure group. And so, you know, it it really kind of comes down to this, uh, you know, trying to navigate by a light tied to your own ship's mast Hmm. is only going to leave you either on the rocks or hopelessly lost. And when we as a culture decided to remove the idea of absolute truth, that God has spoken, and if God has spoken and has told us, based upon his unchanging character, what right and wrong is all about, not whether you agree with it, not whether I agree with it, but this is what God, who is above us all, says once you remove that cultural consensus. Uh, And uh, I, I would say that in my educational experience, boy, you saw a systematic, Attempt to be able to remove any kind of idea or concept of absolute truth mm-hmm. uh, from the thinking of people growing up. When we hear about you know the uh, dog and pony shows that are going on in public schools right now, where you have uh, you know again uh, uh, teachers uh, saying, "Oh well, you know <clears throat> we would never tell parents uh, about yeah. uh, say uh, someone that is thinking about changing their pronouns or their gender or things along this line," and and I mean just. Uh, the, the fact that, uh, that the trans movement has just skyrocketed mm-hmm. lately isn't by accident. It, it, it's an agenda that is being pushed. And the whole idea that your biological, uh, uh, your, your identity, your gender cannot be determined by biology, but by your emotions, by your feelings. Uh, boy, we see this all over the place all the time mm. now. In every other area. But but it gender, all but... comes back to that, that, this this key question, has God spoken? Mm. Is there a basis for truth beyond uh, mm. what you think or what I think? And, you know, again, having been raised, uh, you know, in uh, the baby boomer generation, you know, having the— uh, grown up like through the 60s and 70s and all of this, the seductive thing about it all is this, man, just do your own thing. You know, you go your way, I go mine. If we meet in the middle, it's beautiful. Uh, you know, these are all things that we've learned or were shared with us uh, in, in school growing up. And if, you know, the, the, the problem is this, if there is no right or wrong, but thinking makes it so, that's another one of the uh, mm-hmm. mottos that we all heard. Okay, what if somebody thinks differently? Maybe even in a negative way. Um, You know, well, you know, as long as you're sincere. You know, I can remember a Peanuts cartoon where Linus, the blanket toning philosopher, said that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. And he was talking about his uh, waiting for the Great Pumpkin to show up. Well, the Great Pumpkin never showed up, Mm -hmm. which is an interesting commentary on all of that. But boy, there are posters of that, you know, And, and sincerity. Is considered the queen of virtues. As long as you sincerely believe something, that's all that really matters, you see. But here's the problem. Adolf Hitler sincerely believed in National Socialism. Adolf Hitler sincerely believed that exterminating the Jewish race was the greatest thing he could do for humanity. There was no doubt about Adolf Hitler's sincerity. Now, completely evil, but he sincerely believed in that worldview. He not only sincerely believed it, but unlike a lot of people might sincerely believe things, he actually did his best to devote his life to realizing that Mm. vision. He walked his talk, if you will. So, you know, when we talk about these, you know, these very interesting shifts as far as our judiciary is concerned, as far as deciding what the laws of the land are concerned, you know, Adrian, I always bring it back to you know that that principle in Second Thessalonians chapter two that the mystery of lawlessness we are told is already at work, but the one who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, and then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. Now, notice the Antichrist is given the term the man of lawlessness, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the interesting thing about lawlessness, and, and you, if you are any uh, in any degree a history buff, it's a fascinating study. Take a look at what led to the rise. Of Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany. Well, people don't realize that prior to that, the Weimar Republic, as it was called, was uh, essentially a, a moral free-for-all. If you've ever seen the movie Cabaret uh, with Liza Minnelli and Joel McRae in that film, that was a picture of what the Weimar Republic was all about. And and I mean, even you know the songs that that came out of that. Life is a cabaret, old chum. You know, only a cabaret uh you know uh, what use in letting some prophet of doom chase all your uh your cheers away uh you know and it's just this whole idea that life's a party man and you know just uh do whatever feels good to you and and live to stimulate those nerve endings and it doesn't really doesn't matter uh, in terms of uh, your decisions how that all plays out just do it well that weimar republic that also uh interestingly was characterized by massive out of control inflation i mean there there were newsreels where it got so bad you literally had to take a wheelbarrow full of deutschmarks to the bakery to buy a loaf of bread mm. well now I, i'm reading uh in the news that uh the latest uh, trend in smuggling over the border now is uh, eggs mm. that eggs are considered as valuable as you know, bales of marijuana and all of this other stuff. And if you price them in the market, you know that's true. Uh, we are approaching double-digit inflation in this country. Why? Uh, because the government continually is printing more money uh, to keep itself from going insolvent. Uh, there, there is no such thing as, as budget cutting. You know, every one of these omnibus bills that we hear, hear about is loading more and more, you know, they call it pork, but, uh, you know, giveaway programs and so on. Uh, you know, I read an interesting uh, quote on, on uh, Twitter before airtime, uh, you know, where someone said, you know, the door is wide open for someone to come along and be a politician who preaches financial accountability and austerity. And, and the response was that, is that. Who in the world is ever going to get elected by saying to the, the public, we're going to give you less? It's <laughs> mm-hmm. not going to happen. So, you know, the parallels between Weimar Germany and the rise of Adolf Hitler are really instructive because when you take a look, especially at Hitler and the Nazis, it was, a, uh, it was not just uh, a, an idea that whose time has come as far as the, the wedding together of government and corporatism, which we're also seeing in our society today, but it was also a thoroughly religious point of view that was being promoted uh, by Hitler and his associates, they were all very much committed to the idea of restoring what they considered pure German religion, and that was the worship of Wotan uh, and, and uh, the Norse gods and so forth. Mm. Uh, Christianity, and people say, well, Hitler was a Christian, wasn't he? Well, he was raised nominally as a Roman Catholic, but he rejected the, the, the whole thing, and he believed, uh, and uh, you can uh, read, uh, you know, there's a, a really interesting PBS special on it uh, about Heinrich Himmler, who was the uh, head of the SS, who wrote his Final Solution 2.0 uh, document. The, the Final Solution was eliminating the Jews, but once you eliminated the Jews, the Final Solution 2.0 was eliminating the Christians because the message of Christianity was Jewish. Mm. It detracted from pure Arianism. So you see this religious point of view when the SS, you'd be sworn into the SS, you would literally go through an occult-based ritual where you would swear allegiance to Wotan and these other Germanic deities. Uh, And and so you see in Hitler, and especially with his vehement hatred of who? The Jews. uh, This rejection of biblical Christianity this idea that, you uh, know, you know, it, you know, it, it really uh, doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere leading into all of this. But the, the interesting thing is you, you buy into that kind of mentality that it really doesn't matter. You know, just do what you want. Live to stimulate your nerve endings. You know, stay drunk, stay high, do whatever you want. You know, get involved with all these distractions from real life like media and so forth. But you you buy into all of this and you kind of preach this idea that there really is no right or wrong, Um, you know, you can find it in yourself. First, you have, A, Weimar Republic, life is a cabaret, excessivism, but people get freaked out by that. And they they say to themselves, we need order. Uh, We need someone who can turn this economy around. Uh, We need uh, peace and safety, Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you want to use the biblical term. Mm -hmm. And that always leads to the coming of an authoritarian society, a dictator that says, uh, you know, shut up. He explained, um, no, uh, tolerance of anything apart from the structure of the state, uh, will be tolerated in a society. And for a while it works. I mean, obviously Hitler turned the economy of Nazi Germany around, uh, you know, people thought that was wonderful. Uh, there was there was peace. There was order. Crime was you know there was a lid that was put upon all of that, and uh, you know the, the 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 problem with all of that is is that if you sell out the idea of absolute truth, you know that certain things are right and certain things are wrong, no matter whether they get results or not. Uh, pretty soon you find yourself in that place, and I really believe that we see in Hitler and especially Weimar Germany leading into Hitler a preview of the Antichrist a mm-hmm. uh, preview of the conditions that would lead to the Antichrist because this lawlessness that we talked about here and the idea of courts essentially becoming rubber stamps for anything that a particular person who's seizing power uh, wants to do. I mean, Germany had courts, mm-hmm. but they were all stacked <coughs> with Nazis, Hitler mm-hmm. supporters. You couldn't be a judge without being in that situation. So, you know, oh, of course, well, anything you want to do. Uh, so, uh, you know, we see things like, uh, you know, what's going on in Israel where you have, you know, judges that are basically there for life and not really accountable to anybody and sort of making decisions based upon personal whim or, or will rather than any kind of foundation of, of right or wrong. We, we see the same thing in our judiciary. We're seeing it in the legislative. We're seeing it in the executive branches in our country because it all goes back to whether we are going to accept that foundation of god has spoken and we are accountable mm. for all of that and uh, you know the, the the prophets especially the minor prophets had a very funny way of saying you know you've sown the wind and you're going to weep you're going to reap the whirlwind uh nothing good is going to come out of all of this you know we're just starting uh, our study in the book of ezekiel
2: mm-hmm. and
1: it's fascinating uh, you know, and I'm so excited about going through this book right now, but it's fascinating I am, I am <laughs> to see the parallels between the time of Ezekiel's ministry and the people that he had to minister to mm. in that set of circumstances and the prevailing mindset that we're seeing in our culture today. You know, I, maybe it's not completely prevailing, but it certainly is rising, uh, especially with young people. Mm. So that mystery of lawlessness being already at work, well, <clears boy, throat> that's definitely a sign of the times mm. to be looking looking at these days.
0: Wow. And by the way, if you want to follow along as we go verse by verse through the book of Ezekiel uh, on Wednesday evenings during our Oasis services, you're more than welcome to go to our website, calvarychristian.com. Hit the watch live. You can watch, you can ask questions, you can engage with people, you can ask. You can submit prayer requests. Uh, really encourage you to go through the study. Uh, we are a church that goes through the whole counsel of God's Word. That means that we go book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and uh, really try to get into what the entire Bible has to say about how we should relate to God, to one another, and how we can uh, live our uh, the lives that God intended for us to live. <clears throat> uh, speaking of the younger generation, you had mentioned that uh, we got a question about uh, this uh, really interesting concept of computational creationism or something like that, Uh, the idea that... uh, Yeah, Uh,
1: you know, fascinating article (laughs) it ran in the Jerusalem Post today with this uh, headline, it's in the business and innovation section. Simulation creationism. Simulation, that was... Are we all living in an advanced simulation? Well, you know, if you've seen the movie The Matrix, you know, you have the red pill and the blue pill, and if you take the red pill, you're going to be able to see that, you know, everything that you thought was reality was just Mm -hmm. a computer... Simulation. Well, that wasn't something that was thought up uh, by the uh, the writers, The Matrix or Keanu Reeves. Uh, it really kind of goes back to uh, Rene Descartes, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, he was the one who first uh, put forth this theory. Actually, Descartes, I believe, borrowed uh, from another philosopher by the name of uh, uh, Barclay, uh, who wrote a, a book called Three Dialogues Between Hylas and Philonous. Mm. Boy. Talk about a page turner, right? <laughs> I look for I, I, I hear they're selling the movie rights. But uh, in in my uh, philosophy class that I had uh, at the university, we had to read uh, Barclay's uh, three di- dialogues between Hylus and Philonous. And what Barclay said was this: matter does not exist; that everything is perception. Hmm. You know, in other words, uh, you can't prove that anything else exists because everything you see about reality, you the, proceed through your, your, uh, your uh, five senses. And it was interesting. Barclay was a Christian, mm-hmm. believe it or not, and uh, he was saying that this was, in his mind, one of the most compelling proofs that God exists. Why? Because we all share perception. And in order for us to all have the same perception, see if you follow along with me on this at home, uh, there has to be a great perceiver Oh. who sees everything and we see as he sees it yeah that, that, that's condensing down an awful lot of stuff it was so funny in this class uh you know when uh, the the professor said you know he's going to show us that matter doesn't really exist that it's all perception there was a football player in the class who'd had personal experience with matter in large quantities and he kind of laughed at that and uh, the prof said took him on and said, okay, I'm going to show you. And he drew, drew up uh, Barkley's argument on the board, dot, 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 therefore matter does not exist. And, uh, the, uh, football player said, well, okay, why don't you go play on the freeway and prove it? <laughs> hmm. So, you know, but, but the idea behind it is that there is no reality that everything is perception that's been built uh, and interestingly enough, uh, by, uh, individuals like Elon Musk mm-hmm. and others, uh, who would say that, uh, you know, we are getting to a place where we're seeing, say, you know, the, uh, the idea of meta in, uh, it used to be Facebook, but now it's called yeah. meta right. and, uh, the, the Oculus, uh, mm-hmm. headset that you wear to be able to perceive, a virtual reality and you know it's being marketed oh you can play virtual tennis with somebody and you can you know have your own virtual world and it's kind of like sims You remember that game where you Mm -hmm. built your own society and those kind of games are still very
0: very popular yeah
1: but uh but anyway uh elon musk uh said uh on the joe rogan experience about this that games eventually will be indistinguishable from reality Uh, In fact, Musk's project uh, Neuralink, maybe you've heard of that, uh, put his advocacy into action. He uh, wants to augment technology's effect on the brain. In fact, uh, Elon Musk has raised some eyebrows by talking about the idea that sooner or later we're going to have neural implants uh, that will allow us not to have to use our eyes or anything else, but that we're going to have that instant access uh, to, uh, the, uh, the meta world, if you will, uh, to, uh, the internet, uh, that, that's how we're going to see mm. and perceive things, you know, we, which
0: ironically, we, the, the concept of meta, doesn't it mean like from self, like meta ethics is ethics that are, uh, subjective.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, when you, you see these sort of things, uh, it's interesting how some people are taking this and then applying this idea uh, that, uh, you know, we might not be able to distinguish uh, reality uh, from a computer simulation. And then someone says, and these aren't, you know, again, people that are, you know, on ancient aliens and have hair that stands straight up. Uh, <laughs> these are individuals, you know, again, PhDs at MIT. They're saying, well, how do we know? That our entire universe isn't an incredibly sophisticated game. If we're able, right, with our technology, mm-hmm. to develop games and uh, reality simulations that are indistinguishable from the real deal, well, he, and, and here's where the leap comes in. There has to be out there uh, more advanced civilizations than ours. You know, they they've had to have been out there for a long time. The universe, is a big place. Uh, remember the, uh, the famous line from, uh, contact, contact. uh, if, it's an awful they, waste if they're of not, space. you know, awful yeah. waste of space, if we're the only ones here, well, you know, again, people will say, you know, how do we know that, you know, aliens, uh, in an incredibly advanced alien race hasn't created a, a simulation that we all live in. Mm. We think we're perceiving reality, but it's just perception. So who sets mm. the perception? Uh, you know, it's it's interesting, uh, this idea of simulated uh, creationism. There was an article in the Jerusalem Post on this, and it says this, Aligning closely with Christian literature, simulation creationism defines our world as a simulation created by God to study life on earth. Isn't that an interesting thing? Like, God needs to uh, some, somehow study us. A concept that's gaining traction with many faith-based communities. Developed uh, by a fellow by the name of Z- Nir Zizo, and a team of leading theologians specializing in Christianity, the hypothesis brings new Bible-based testimony to verify simulation theory with faith-based proof. Uh, Again, uh, the article says that this is a good thing because uh, Christian religious affiliation is steadily decreasing in the United States, according to Pew. Uh, This decline in religion also encompasses a generational divide with only 40% of Gen Z individuals in the United States Uh, saying uh, that they've had a formative religious experience. Well, again, uh, the emergence of theories like uh, simulation creationism could have a a profound impact on people that are questioning their faith, according to this article. By embodying a worldview that bridges religion and science, the hypothesis brings communities that are seemingly at odds under one umbrella. Although simulation creation may sound divisive, It ultimately provides a way for religious and non-religious communities to find common ground in explaining our universe. Uh, This uh, fellow who's promoting this, this Nir Zizzo, who's uh, interviewed in the Jerusalem Post, said, for the first time, we uncover a detailed model showing the existence of a creator. Now listen to this, because here's where the hook comes in. Simulation creationism that God just created us as a simulation or someone created us as a simulation. Simulation creation takes creationism out of its pseudo-scientific position while supplying powerful apologetic toolkits to believers worldwide. So what it's basically saying is, is if we superimpose upon the Bible this idea that we are just a computer simulation Somehow we've bridged the gap between the Bible and science because they would say, well, you know, the Bible is simply telling us that there is out there a, uh, a, uh, a greater intelligence. Uh, you know, just like us, they've, they've created this simulation and, and this is what we live in and this is how we can have meaning and this is how we can understand the universe. You know, on the one side of the coin, I, I kind of uh, celebrate the fact that something like simulation creationism is being promoted in this sense. I don't agree with it, Mm -hmm. but it's conceding a huge point. And what is that point? The point is that our universe is far too finely tuned to be what? An accident.
0: Right. It's it's further demonstrating in the intelligent design concept, the movement that's growing, growing, and growing. If you go to the Discovery Institute, there's a whole list of all kinds of scientists and PhDs subscribing to the idea that whether you believe in God or not is one thing, but the universe is definitely, the earth is definitely intelligently designed.
1: Yeah. You, you can't get away from it. You know, I, I read one study where our, the DNA molecule, you know, everybody knows about DNA and all of this, you know, 23andMe and all these different sites mm-hmm. have popularized it. But the DNA molecule is composed of four incredibly complex proteins the odds of one of those proteins being formed by chance. Take as much time in the universe as you want. Uh, the odds of one of these protein molecules being formed by chance, Dr. Charles Eugene Guy, a Swiss mathematician, calculated the odds of just one component out of four
2: hmm.
1: right, being formed by chance. At one in 10, the 605th power. Wow. That's 10 with 605 zeros after it. To, to put it in perspective, hmm. If you've got an event or, or a uh, situation that the odds of it happening are greater in 1 in 10 to the 50th power, probability law says it will never happen. Mm-hmm. In other words, you could probably calculate the odds of an elephant suddenly becoming a helicopter. Mm-hmm. But it's probably not going to happen. Right. Well, For
0: practical purposes, it's impossible.
1: It's impossible. It's not going to happen. Well, you know, here you have just one of the four proteins necessary mm-hmm. for dna let alone bringing dna together let alone bringing dna together in a way that it's going to be preserved and so on uh you know there was that uh, experiment that was done by stanley milgram mm-hmm. and others that said oh you know we uh simulated the conditions of what primordial earth is and we yeah. sent electric shock through it and uh, we created some of these uh, base proteins well just the uh, amino acids that the amino acids <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but the, what they don't tell you is this, um, there's such a thing as right-handed and left-handed amino acids and, uh, Dr. Milgram's experiment, uh, created amino acids in that kind of a setting. But first of all, uh, we'd have to, to, to say this, was that setting random? No, it wasn't random. Intelligent people had to put that setting together.
0: It was intelligently designed. It was
1: intelligently designed. But the interesting thing is this when you have right handed and left handed uh, amino acids that show up, they cancel each other out.
2: Hmm.
1: In other words, you can't have both in that environment, or the whole thing falls apart from the get go. So, you know, we could go on and on and on. It's like you know, the, I mean, the, the old analogy. Beetle. <laughs> yeah, you know, the old analogy that explosions in print shops don't make encyclopedias. Uh, that would be far, you you could probably calculate the odds of that and it would probably be, uh, far less than one in 10 to the 605th power. So, you know, when scientists, uh, are confronted by all of this and, and, you know, it's, it's really interesting. There's a big difference between science and scientism, Mm -hmm. you know, when people used to get degrees in what we would call natural science, they would be given a, a degree, at least they used to be given a degree in natural philosophy. Hmm. And I think that's a far, uh, far more honest truth and labeling right, uh, yeah. than, than what we tend to get. Because when we talk, when we talk about scientists uh, and, uh, and individuals that, uh, that that they say, "Well, we're just we're just interested in the facts. We'll put our facts up against yours." Well, when I hear that, I always wince because the facts are the facts. Yeah, it's how you interpret them.
0: Nobody has that their matters. own facts. Yeah,
1: you, you can't, you know, and, and both and creationists and, and secularists are in that same point of view. But you have to understand something. Uh, the vast majority of people we call scientists today have underneath their scientific inquiries a philosophy.
0: Called scientism, yeah. Yeah,
1: well, we, we would call it scientism, but they would call it naturalism that states... Mm-hmm, right. Yep. That, so like Carl Sagan said, uh, the cosmos is all there is, all there ever was, or all over right, there yeah. will be. There is no need for a god. And that is the underlying, that, that is the root of Darwinism.
0: Which is a philosophical presupposition, not something based on the method of science, but something that they presume and then carry out the scientific method with that as their underlying assumption in everything. And it doesn't even uh, roll itself out in their hypothesis of certain yeah. scientific experiments. Well, and, and,
1: Yeah, and to be fair... Right? This is an axiom. An axiom is an unprovable set of assumptions that you take when you're trying to interpret reality. We as Christians have an axiom. We believe that God has always existed. Mm -hmm. We believe that God is the one who created the heavens and the earth. We believe that uh, because of that, the heavens and the earth reflect the character of a purposeful and intelligent creator. Okay? We believe that everything. Can we say in the beginning God? Uh, the uh, the secular said in the beginning the Big Bang. You know that, that that's what they appeal to. Yeah. So you know we have that axiom as well. Right. Yeah. You know to be fair, but the big question is which axiom best yeah. corresponds with reality.
0: And isn't it true that uh, naturalism is sort of an axiom about nature, the, n- the nature of nature, and scientism is an epistemological axiom of how you know nature. The idea that science is the only way to know, or empiricism is the only way to know anything about reality.
1: Yeah, but the goofy thing about all of that is, um, unless you have an intelligent creator behind the universe, okay, A, why would you expect any kind of consistency in the creation? Why would you have natural laws if there was no lawgiver? In, right. in other words? And, and B, uh, if you believe this that all we are in a nice roll of some chemical dice how do you know that that acts at that accidental collection of atoms and molecules that makes up your brain is even perceiving this universe properly yeah. well you can't know any of that right you just have to assume that it is and, you know and, and so you know when we talk about simulation creationism the most interesting thing about it, and I think you're going to see this like being promoted in a number of circles. It's almost wow. like the the idea of uh, of uh, you know uh, uh, progressive creationism, the idea you... that, that that we can buy into the whole evolutionary worldview, but then a progressive creationist would say, yeah, and then uh, God intervened and He created Adam and Eve.
0: You mean theistic evolution? Well, no, progressive creationism. the Most pre- progressive creationists don't adhere to any kind of evolutionary theory. Well, most of
1: them do. Hugh Ross sure does.
0: Oh no, he's not an evolutionist. Oh yes, he is. I yeah, I, I'm I, certain I, of that. Well, well <laughs> I've been listening to him a
1: lot. Over well, years, but... uh, well, I would say though that when I say an evolutionist, what I would say is Hugh Ross believes that the universe is old, old, yeah, for sure, very old. Most progressive Christians do, think and that, yeah. that uh, death. And, uh, and decay. decay happened before the fall of man. And that uh, essentially the default position is to say, uh, okay, everything that science tells us up to that intervention of God with Adam and
0: Eve is absolutely correct. Oh yeah, that's true. That is that that is definitely an accurate characterization. I I thought you meant the idea of speciation evolution, just the idea that macroevolution occurred in history, and yeah. Because I used to challenge people who were progressive in that that you guys believe that, and I was always getting shut down, thinking, "No, we don't believe that." And so,
1: (laughs) well, but you know, once again, I think that begs the question because you know one of the motivations behind all of this, and serving aside here, one of the motivations behind going down that path is saying, "Okay." If we concede billions of years, you know, if we concede, uh, you know, death uh, before the fall of man as recorded in the fossil record, if we deny the global flood of Noah uh, because we want to explain everything by gradualistic geologic processes and all of this other stuff, then. The scientific community and the secularists are going to come over to our side and say, Oh, well that's that's very reasonable. I'll consider uh, your 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 other thing. But what you discover more often than not is that these people just go, Well, you've just conceded all of our points. Why do we need a God at all? You've just shown me that, you know, everything can be explained by natural process. Why do we need a God overseeing any of
0: it? Right, yeah. You know, and, and, and so well, this- this, this approach, you think they're making the same mistake or well, attempting I do. to?
1: Well, I do, because there's a really interesting quote uh, from this near Zizzo and his Global Architect Institute is what he calls it. He says, simulation creationism takes creationism out of its pseudo-scientific position while supplying powerful apologetic toolkits to believers worldwide.
0: See, I'm offended by that word, though, pseudo-scientific. Well, well pretty... what he's basically saying is
1: this. If you are a creationist, if you take the Bible at face value, you believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, you believe, say, for instance, put my cards on the table, a, a young earth and a, a six-day, a literal a solar day creation, right? Um, you've, in essence, bought into pseudoscience. Hmm. You know, the same hokey stuff you'd see on Finding Sasquatch or something like that. So if we can just get rid of that, <laughs> and what is the that? It's a biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. We get rid of a biblical worldview, then we're getting somewhere. you know. And then, then the world will come over <clears throat> to our point of view. But what have we sold out when we sell out a biblical worldview? Well, we've sold out everything.
0: Yeah, you're standing on nothing.
1: You know, I mean, I have to come back to what Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. Thy word is truth. He spoke of Adam and Eve as real individuals. He based his teaching on marriage from the idea that at the Mm -hmm. beginning of creation, he created the male and female, not at the end of billions and billions of years. Um, You know, I have to look at that, and I have to say, okay, um, uh, if I have to abandon a biblical worldview and and buy into this simulation idea uh, in order to build a bridge, ultimately, uh, then you come down to this. The secularist will say... Well, it's an advanced galactic society that has done this. I mean, the, uh, the alien prequels like Prometheus put that forth, that we were created by engineers as a bioweapons Experiment that Sounds went like a awry. Movie
0: I may have seen in the last few years. Yeah, you know,
1: and 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 the idea behind this was they were looking for God. They were looking for our Creator. They found out that our Creator was really these engineers, and then they found out they were evil engineers, and they were doing biological weapons things so they could dominate the universe. And that's where the aliens from Alien came from, and and all of this. Uh, but you know, the the interesting thing about it all is this: it really begs the question. Okay. Uh, If we are in a computer simulation that is created by some advanced alien civilization, you still haven't answered all the questions about how does life arise from non-life? How does order come out of chaos? Mm -hmm. Who created, in essence, the engineers? Who engineered the engineers? So they were intelligent enough Mm -hmm. to be able to do this sort of thing. So it's almost like the question, who created God?
0: Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know,
1: but 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 the the question who created God to me has always been a non-starter. Yeah, it's, because it's almost like saying, well, how long has that bachelor been married? You know, God by definition has always been. He is the yeah. uncreated one. He is, as Aristotle called him, the unmoved mover.
0: It's a nonsensical uh, question. Though. Yeah.
1: So you know, if everything that has a beginning, right, has a creator, okay, then. What about the one who has no beginning?
0: Right.
1: Who is the one who created all things and got all this going? You know, who is the original one that made the universe mm-hmm. uh, something more than an uncaused effect? You know, cause and, and effect—you can't get away from it. So that's the problem who, with asking. So, who that is question. the cause? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So usually, when when people when believers make these kinds of mistakes and compromises. It's trying to jump on board with a movement or an idea. Are there secular scientists promoting this idea as well? The idea that we really can't know reality, we can't know truth—kind of like a postmodern idea. Is this? Would you say this is the prevailing? Uh, well, where we're moving. Well
1: the, well, the interesting thing is this idea of postmodernism—that we can't know truth, or, or you know, that there is no sense to the universe. Uh, it, it's just, as you mentioned, it's an untenable idea. It just doesn't stand up under examination. Right, yeah. I mean, the universe is finely tuned for life. And you know we could go on with example after example, after example, from secular sources along this line. But interesting, the last paragraph in this uh, simu- uh, this uh, creation simulation uh, idea here, it says in essence, simulation creationism affirms that the universe didn't emerge by chance, and extensively details models which show the existence of a creator. as the confluence point between creationism, and the simulation theory the hypothesis suggests that our reality and existence can be explained by assuming we are all part of a simulation whose objective is to research and monitor events related to, related to creation and life so so what is this this saying what this is saying is this that our reality can only be explained by the fact that we are a video game hmm. and if we can meet in the middle and acknowledge we are just a video game then Maybe we've got something to talk about. But in reality, you've solved nothing because it's, even if you concede that idea, like Barclay with his, uh, you know, all things are perception. Okay, who controls all the perceptions so that you and I can even have this conversation right now? Hmm. You know, I mean, uh, you know, and, and, and then you, you ask the obvious question. If there's some intelligence out there that is so great to create this computer simulation, who created that intelligence? Because all created things have to have a beginning. They have to have a cause, you see. So who is the ultimate cause? Well, the Bible says, in the beginning, God. Mm. Uh, Psalm 90 says, uh, you know, again, uh, before the heavens, uh, the heavens were made and the earth was formed, uh, you, O Lord, are everlasting. Mm. God is not physical. He's spiritual. We, we are bound by physical laws, we will always have those limitations. So to me, it, it, it's, you know, to say, oh, yeah, we found the key to give a defense for our faith that even the most uh, secular individual is going to buy into um no no you, you're going to probably see this promoted quite a bit i think people like elon musk are going to be all over it yeah but uh, no you're more than you know a computer simulation you're more than hmm. something that you know a more sophisticated form of pong if i can date myself <laughs> um
0: it's like my christian worldview and apologetics professor told the story and I don't know if he actually did this, but he talked about how a philosopher professor was trying to convince the students they didn't exist. Yeah, And so he proceeded down to the front of the class and he kicked him in the shin. And he said, Why'd you do that? He goes, I didn't. I don't exist. That was yeah. It. That yeah. was clever. Yeah. well, yeah,
1: There you go. You know, and uh, on uh, gotquestions.org, they got a really good uh, summary statement about all of this. Uh, he said, Biblically, the question of reality being a simulation comes down to terminology. Hmm. Debating over whether or not our reality is simulated or created is like debating whether a piece of clay was formed or shaped, Uh, (laughs) whether or not Pluto is a planet. Uh, Ultimately, both terms, simulated and created, uh, imply the universe we experience was purposely arranged by something beyond our reality. Christianity teaches that there is a higher form of existence than our universe and that the world we live in was purposefully arranged by God. By definition, any meaningful evidence of simulation reality would prove an intelligent designer, i.e. the heavens are telling the glory of God. Mm. Well, there you go.
0: Yeah. yeah.. Well, we have one of our listeners from the continent of Africa. I don't know what country, but uh, you might recognize the name Athes May. A- Athe- I'm sorry if I'm at an E? Is, is that I, I'm having a hard time reading. Al- Althea May, me? Okay. Uh, but I apologize okay. if I'm butchering a name. But do uh, this is a really interesting. And having done a several tours in South Africa and other car, parts of the country, I'm familiar with these kinds of teachings. It's really different. But the, do spiritual spouses really exist? Can a demon be married to a, a, an earthly person without them even knowing it? Can uh, that ever come? Un- can they come uninvited? This is a com- this is common here in African churches. The pastor says it's because he or she is married to the spiritual spouse and has spiritual attachment when things go wrong in their lives. So, having ha- heard similar things, the idea is that you can have sort of an uninvited evil spirit in your life, and you've become joined or married to that spirit, not even knowing it. And uh, they're using terminology like. This is, you know, you have a spiritual spouse and it's a demon, and this is why things in your life are going wrong. Right. Uh, Do pastors have any basis in scripture for teaching anything like this? And how would you counsel someone who is being told uh, that this is happening in their lives because things are going wrong? Well,
1: you know, again, uh, whether things go right or wrong is probably the single worst uh, barometer spiritually you can apply to your life. Uh, Think about a guy like Job. Job had everything go wrong for him. He lost everything in the the end of one disaster after another. Even his wife says, do you still hold on to your integrity? Curse God and die. But we're told in all these things, Job did not sin. It wasn't sin or some spiritual uh, condition uh, that, that, uh, that, that Job had created or invited into his life that caused the situation he was in to happen. It was the fact that Satan not being omniscient, uh, thought that uh, Job was just serving God for hire, that God made his life so good, no wonder he serves you. Mm -hmm. And so everything was taken away. Now, that tells me a couple things. First of all, it tells me that Satan doesn't know everything because he completely misjudged Job. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people will raise Satan up to the same level as God. The other thing that tells me is that uh, Satan could do nothing without running it by God first. Uh, you know, again, there were limits to what Satan could do. Now, what is the the limit that Satan can is put under as far as human beings are concerned? Well, we're told that human beings are a remarkable creation of God. As a matter of fact, we are told one day we will judge angels, and so you know, demons, fallen angels, uh, are uh, certainly no no entities to be trifled with. But one of the things that Satan always tries to do is he tries to make himself greater in our eyes than than he really is. And so, you know, when someone says, you know, all of these things about you've got a spiritual spouse and and this and this and this, you know, the, the, the bottom line is first John five says that he has been born of God. Uh, is kept by God, and the evil one does not grasp onto him. If you're a born-again Christian, you don't have to worry about that.
0: Well, that gives us a lot of comfort. Thank you so much for chiming in and listening. Uh, I hope it was an interesting program for you today, and please join us back again tomorrow, same place, to same time. For hope. God bless you. God bless you, guys. Thank you for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.